in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. Two brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, John Flack and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and so sad to say, John Flack, my usual partner of crime, is not here with me today. But... We have a really good guest, and we're still going to have a really good time today, because we have Katie from Pittsburgh here. Hello! Katie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to talk about this movie with you, actually. That's right. And what movie is it going to be? Sleuth. And what other movie is it going to be? Sleuth! That's right. But we're, the original. That's right. We're doing a compare and contrast of the 2007 and the 1972 versions of Sleuth. So it's going to be... A new ground for the show. We've never done two movies at the same time, but uh, they're different and similar, so it'll be fun. It'll, it's an experiment. So They do not have exactly the same plot, which is, makes it more interesting, I think. They are different. So Before we get into things, let's find out a little bit more about you. Uh, I'm just going to hit you with some hard-hitting questions. These are deeply personal questions that may... Are you ready for this? Are you ready to let people in? As long as you got Kleenex, I'm good to go. Okay. So, so, what is the movie that most defines you? For anybody that knows me, they're going to have the answer before I even say it, but it would be The Labyrinth from Why? 1986. Uh-huh. With Bowie and Jennifer Connelly. Bowie, Connelly, Jim Henson, George Lucas, and uh, Brian Froud was the concept artist. I've got a book of all of his sketches from the movie, and they're beautiful, but... The piece that defines me was watching David Bowie come in through the windows in the very, very beginning of the movie. I think even as like a seven-year-old kid, I stopped and stared. Do you think you've seen this movie perhaps more than 30 times? Absolutely. I have it memorized. 50 times maybe? More than that. Wow. Every weekend when I was at my dad's from seven years old until probably nine or ten, maybe twelve it did scare me the first time, though, I have to say. I, that's understandable. I didn't see it until I was in, probably just out of college, so I didn't get the magic as a kid, but I could certainly understand. I, I remember thinking, I was like, this is kind of scary for kids. So It is creepy. Not uh, as creepy as Dark Crystal, but it is creepy. So today we're doing a remake movie or a uh, revival movie. What one movie would you remake if you could and why? So I have to give the caveat that I prefer psychotic thrillers and mind benders. Um, so I would say I think it would be great to go through and actually do The Wizard of Oz with the same character names, pretty much, but basically start it in color and then reverse it to black and white where the dream state's different and make it modern, more similar probably to Requiem of a Dream, like Darren Aronofsky style. Now, was- uh, like you don't know what's going on. It wasn't a remake, but what did you think about the Franco Oz movie? It was okay. 
Okay. Okay, that's all I have. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. So you'd want you'd want to do it differently than that. It needs to be really twisted, yeah. Okay. And it has to have, even though everybody knows the story, it would have to have a twisted ending. Tim Burton? Everybody knows him, so no. Okay. I, like Darren Aronofsky would be my, Requiem for a Dream would be a, a good example. That sounds heavy. It's very heavy. That would be the point. It's a kid's movie and it's supposed to be beautiful and fun and so I don't know. Yeah, so the next question I got to ask is, what is the funniest thing that has happened to you in a movie theater? This one's going to be throwing it back a little bit to uh, Kindergarten Cop. My sister and I were in the movie theater. My parents were watching a different movie. So we were sitting there with candy for once, which we never got. And I believe she had some hard candy like Skittles maybe or something like that. She was getting ready to open it right at the point where the line comes up that, oh, yeah, her husband left her for another man. Mm -hmm. We're like 10 years old. Yes. My sister was the only one that laughed in the entire theater from her (laughs) gut and spilled her candy all over the movie theater, rolling all the way down the aisles, and it was just her. Did people get a turnaround? I, I don't know because I was... Like, frozen. (laughs) (laughs) But, yes, a 10-year-old kid getting a line before all the adults in the theater did. Oh, man. I know, uh, normally I don't answer the questions, but just because this one came up, uh, not so long ago, uh, some other co-workers, because Katie and I work together, I failed to mention that, she's she's one of the wonderful people who keeps the uh, building information models up and running and helping keep everybody moving. So she's a computer wizard, and I am not. But the uh, interesting thing, so we're, I'm going to Blade Runner with uh, some previous guests, Ben and Alex. Uh, yep. Alex Jaskowiak was on there as well. DJ was there, I believe. And anyway, so a lot of people you've heard on the show and I are sitting there in the theater, and somebody falls asleep during Blade Runner 2049. Oh, my like, God. Yeah. <laughs> For quite some time. And somebody somebody at some point just yells at him. He's like, if you got to sleep, go home. And poke, like, poke, poke, poke. No, there was no poke. Just a yelling across the room and just utter rage. <laughs> did, it, did it work? He woke up, but I'm not going to lie. He fell asleep again later. <laughs> so. Kind n- of. Momentarily. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, other people were more annoyed than I, but uh, yeah. As long as you can smile, it's a good story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> uh, what movie is, or what was the last movie you saw? The last movie I saw was Bohemian Rhapsody, which was actually a sing along version. So they had the little bouncy dot at the bottom of the screen with all the lyrics to all of the songs for those that are not massive Queen fans, unlike me. I didn't need anything but permission to sing my heart out throughout the whole movie. So were, were you alone singing? Was this a situation like where your sister was the only one laughing and spilling Skittles? Or was this, uh, were other people actually singing along? Our uh, co-worker, Miss Jordan, who mm-hmm. sings anyway on the side. F- future guest. Yep, she was sitting right next to me doing the exact same thing. Interesting. So, 
Today, let's get into it. As previously mentioned, we're going to be looking at the 1972 and 2007 version of Sleuth. I don't have uh, good box office records for the original run, but I can tell you the new one uh, didn't have the best of goes. It made $342,000 in the box office, placing it at 284th. You know, that's behind introducing the Dwights and ahead of This Is England. Uh, if you're wondering in IMDb ratings, we have an 8.0 for the 1972 version versus a 6.5 for the 2007 version. Rotten Tomatoes critics give the original version a 96%, really, really high ratings there, and an audience score of 90%. So the original Sleuth's got some high marks. And perhaps a little bit on the cruel side, the Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 36% from the critics. So the critics really were cold on this one. And the audience score is better, but still only at 51%. So uh, these are some polarizing numbers, to say the least. Um, the, there were some awards for this movie. The 1972 version was nominated for four Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Actor for both Laurence Olivier and Michael Caine. So that's pretty unusual for that. And the Best Director got a nomination, Best Original Dramatic Score we're all candidates for that one. So the new movie got the Golden Lion Award for Best Director, Best Screenplay uh, in the Standard British Film Awards, and the Saturn Award for Best International Film, and the Queer Lion winner of the Golden Lion nominee uh, Venice Film Fest. So we have, so it got some accolades too, not not necessarily Oscar hardware, but... They're, they're definitely for the audience that loved the movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. So, Katie, tell us, had you seen this before? Had you seen one of them before? If so, when did you first see it? Give us a little background here. So, I saw the 2007 version first. Believe it or not, I didn't know what movie to get at Blockbuster, throwing it way back here. And I liked the cover. I actually liked the cover, the bright blue that was on the cover. Yeah. And the fact that it had uh, the profiles kind of I think Michael Caine's face and Jude Law's face was split in half on that version and it just looked really menacing so I figured well why not I'll I'll just check this one out it's like two bucks that's fine proceeded to watch it I sorry blockbuster I never returned it whoa I kept it and I knew that there was a remake but I never watched it until you and I started talking about doing this podcast was there, so did you not want to see it just because you liked the original one so much or just didn't get around to it? Honestly, I think it was more that I needed the right time and place to be able to appreciate it. Okay. And that absolutely happened. And the timing of watching it was perfect. That's good. I had seen neither of these movies. I had been recommended to see these movies, both of them. And uh, I was pretty excited to see it, uh, both of these. And I, I made a point of seeing the original first. And I wanted to let everybody know out there, you can actually come across this at the moment or at time of this recording. Who knows? These things come and go. It is available actually for free on YouTube. So uh, can't beat that price. Nope, that's uh, how I saw it too. Yeah, it's pretty accessible. So uh, I can't guarantee you that it'll be there next month or next year whenever you're listening to this. But at this point in time, uh, it's free for everybody. Uh, and then I watched the remake. So I went at it in reverse order of Katie. And I also had about mm, two days in between. So 
I was extremely fresh off the original. And we even when I would normally watch a remake, I wouldn't watch it that close to the original. I would prefer to see something, let a lot of time go by, and then see the other one. So I can either have the experience again. So this perhaps is different in that I... So you decided then to do the opposite, the same thing as me with the opposite movies would be ideal for you. So you see the original first, wait for like 10 years, and then I know it's an extended point of time, but you know, wait be. and then watch the remake. Yeah, without John's time machine, which he has, uh, and I'm sure he's traveling the, uh, the ages right now, I don't have a good way of doing that. So no, I, I had only a week to work with, so... Anyway, I, I like both of the movies as well. And so as we get into it, we'll find out my thoughts on that. So, Do you think it affected your opinion? Sorry to interject. Yes, I do. Okay, we'll I get do. to that. And yes. I, I, I think that's worth noting as well. So okay. it's, it, and it's not fair, And it's not fair to the remake and to some degree. So before we go forward, though, there will be spoilers that lie ahead. And I want to let anybody know that if you haven't seen Sleuth, it's a movie that you do not want spoiled for you in more than a usual week. And I always, I'm very spoiler adverse. Don't listen to this if you haven't seen it. Do watch it and then come back and listen to it. It is worth seeing and take our recommendation. So with that being said, we're going to get a special message for, I can't believe this, we, get, we got another president coming in here to give us another endorsement. Uh, you know, a lot of people are writing in and saying, hey, you guys are getting all this Republican support from Donald Trump. And so we have Democratic former president john f kennedy turns out not dead i mean it's like a tupac kind of thing nope not dead so we'll be back after these messages this is john f kennedy your 35th president of the united states here to talk to you about a matter of utmost importance in this pivotal time my fellow americans ask not what your podcast can do for you but what you can do for your podcast we ask you to go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or the other sources of your podcast. Subscribe to the show, give them a five-star review, and comment on the show. I challenge the listeners to like Retro Movie Roundtable on Facebook and write the show at RetroMovieRoundtable at Yahoo.com. We ask the listeners to do this not because these things are hard, but because they are easy and they help grow the show and improve it. Let us not speak the Republican podcast or the Democratic podcast, but the Retro Movie Roundtable podcast. Thank you, America. All righty. That sounded fantastic. He's a really good guy. I don't know why he doesn't get out more. The people like him. I'm sorry. I just have to chuckle. <laughs> Apologize. So as mentioned, we're about to get into the plot of the movie, and this is your final warning. There are spoilers that lie ahead. Katie, would you give us the honor of giving us a quick run-through of what Sleuth is? Absolutely. The thing I will also try to do for you guys is make it as plain as possible so that you get the idea of the movies without... I'm trying to not give you the spoiler in the first part. So if I can do that, we'll be good to go. Otherwise, you know, Russell and I, we can... It's going to be something different, a little more conversational than usual. Yeah. John's not here. we got to fill it out. All right. So if you guys are ready, it starts out with lover comes to husband's home to ask the husband for a divorce from his wife. The husband denies the request, but proposes an alternative solution. 
The lover gets to keep the girl with this solution. Therefore, he accepts it. The solution is played through. Everything ends up happening as was planned, and the husband ended up being victorious. Then part two comes along, and a cop comes to the husband's house looking for the lover, who has disappeared. The husband denies involvement, and the cop decides to propose his murder scenario as to what happened to the lover. The murder scenario does uncover additional information, which is probably where we're going to put the spoiler alert if we had it right now. But the cop ends up being victorious on this one. And then act three is where each movie differs from each other in the plot. The screenplay for both of them is completely different, however. It is. It is. So let's go through this in a little more detail. Uh, So... Uh, both movies begin by Milo coming to the mansion to meet Andrew, Andrew being the husband, the older man, and Milo being the younger man. That's the same in both. And t- tell us what your impressions are. We get a hedge maze in the first movie. So he's going through this labyrinth, can't find him. And in the other movie, we have this pull up and you're being watched by some surveillance cameras. My car is bigger than your car immediately. Tense and very cold. So right off the bat, she's right. Uh, the movie is more passive aggressive and slow and gentlemanly. Like I'm, for the original, I'm, yeah. For the original, like I'm sticking these little comments at you. Come in, uh, have some, have some something to drink while I insult you, like lightly, as well as your woman. Whereas the other ones, it, it moves quicker. It I, is in your face from the first line and from the first awkward pause when he sticks his hand out the door. Mm-hmm. Won't you commit? So the hedge maze has these statues in it, which give you a sense of being watched, which is something that's a big theme of the original movie, because later in the house, there's a lot of mannequins, figurines, collectibles. Creepy puppets. Sculptures. Yeah. I mean, and so... Things. What what do they do instead in the new movie as a different take on that being watched feeling? So they modernize it. Uh, Kenneth Branagh's the director. Uh, he's quite an artistic person. Um, so he decided to take it to a different level of the security system in the home has its own point of view throughout the movie. And at some point you kind of get the feeling that the security system might have a mind of its own. However, the lighting and wall partitions and, uh, what were the other pieces like projector fire projectors? Yeah. The fireplace reflections, everything is controlled by Andrew Mm -hmm. with a little, we don't want to say Apple remote, but it, it really is a it's, little it's, universal it's remote. An, it's an Apple remote. It's, yeah. it's, it's totally iHome. Yeah. <laughs> so we went from mannequins and things watching you like a massive overload down to nothing. If you see something watching you, you're looking at a camera and that's it. Uh, yeah. And so Andrew suggests that Milo does not have enough money to actually make this relationship with his wife who... Uh, he and seemingly acts like, oh, you're doing me this big favor. I, I don't really, this woman's a headache and boy, you're really, are you sure you want to do this? You're doing and this for me. I benefit she, too. Yeah. She's going to suck you dry though. And I, you know, because I want you to take her off my hands, please take my wife. Absolutely. Uh, uh, they, he comes up with a proposition in both cases, in both movies to commit 
I guess, insurance fraud by stealing jewels and then selling them, but then collecting the insurance money off of it as well. Pretty much the same in both movies again, right? And then again, that same tone of we're moving faster in the remake versus a Yeah, the more... remake is, is very, very, very quick. Of They talk and argue about what they want, and then all of a sudden it's, I have a proposal for you. Yes. And again, like you were saying, take my wife off my hands, stage the burglary, and I even have a fence for you with the title to the jewels. So it's pretty much the exact same thing. It's just very, very fast-paced and very much in-your-face constantly. I think one thing I do like about the remake here is that we start to like Lawrence Olivier's character or the older the older Andrew man, Mike. Andrew, Andrew, and we start to like him, and he and Milo seem to be building a bit of a friendship. This is not something you see in the newer movie. They're, they're at oh, each other's throats the whole, movie, the whole no, time. Oh, in the newer movie? No, I think they absolutely do show camaraderie. They're just... Ah, uh, they're still at their throats at this point, I think. They're rude to each other about yeah. it, but it's kind of an appreciation. So they're dressing up in costumes. He's talking about how elaborate his plot is. And you're thinking this guy is a really eccentric novelist and he's just so down for theatrics that he has to do it this way. And so Michael Caine's dressing in these big clown shoes and got, you know, has this clown costume on. And none of this would be needed. As he points out multiple times, is like, is all of this really necessary? Of course, good boy. I need to make a fool of you to make myself feel better. Climb the ladder with those clown shoes. Yeah. So he sets it up to actually blow out a safe and actually get the jewels out, making staging a robbery. So Milo agrees to stage the robbery, and he changes into this clown costume in the original. In the other remake, he doesn't change at all. And uh, Andrew seems to lead him through each step in both cases. Somewhat, yeah. I think it's just the plot is more direct in the second one. Because there's no changing into costumes. There's no in-between. There's no frills at all. It's direct and to the point. This is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it. Go do it. I'll tell you how to get away with it. So listen to what I'm saying. Olivier's, uh, Olivier's pers- uh, performance of Andrew is a little more erratic, too. Again, adding to the yeah. eccentricity, he's mad at him. He thinks it's funny. Mm-hmm. He thinks, good job. You're doing this perfectly well. And again, he's emotionally all over the place. You're just like, what are you? You're, you don't really... know what to take no. away from it. Kane's yeah. more stone-faced, like, I know what I'm doing. This is all going the way I wanted to. Absolutely. You know, egging him on. And so there's a big difference there as well. So the other bonus we forgot to tell the listeners, and this is probably my favorite part about these two movies, is the fact that Michael Caine played Milo Tyndall in the original, who is the lover, and in the remake, he played Andrew Wyke, who is the husband. So, Michael Caine is in both movies. Yeah, we should have brought this up sooner. It's okay. We can, but we'll get to it again when we get to the end and we're talking about yeah. um, interviews and whatnot. Um, however, the other really interesting part of it is that uh, as Jude Law's playing my, Milo Tyndall, he kind of looks like Michael Caine. You know, I'm trying my best to stick with Andrew and Milo so that it's uh, it's about story comparison. But if I'm slipping out of it and saying Kane and Olivier or Kane and Law, uh, forgive me on that one. So Kane works for both. You're going to say Olivier and I, I get Law and we're good, right? Uh, I think the, the <laughs> listeners are thoroughly confused now, but yeah. So uh, Andrew turns on Milo and points a gun at him after the jewel heist seemingly has gone as planned. 
and he holds him at gunpoint, and in both cases makes good time to explain to him why this is happening. And obviously Milo grovels and is, you know, reduced to crying and begging. In both. In both cases. So in this case, this is one of the most similar aspects of the movie in both of them. I would agree. Uh, two days later, uh, oh, sorry, we hear a shot, and we believe Milo is dead. It's assumed. As Katie pointed out, two days later, Detective Doppler in the original comes to visit, and uh, Detective... I don't know what his name is in the second one. I don't think they make it very obvious. I think it's said once. I admittedly have not written that down. That's shame on me, but... It's not important It's not Doppler. It's not Doppler. Yep. So anyway, the detective comes in and suspects uh, and pieces together Andrew being responsible for killing Milo. Again, it happens a little more slowly. You come to it as if like, oh, there's a policeman here. He's giving, he's making him nervous in the original. Whereas the other one, it's, he goes right to it, knows where to find everything right away. Um, I'd also say there was probably a little more setup because he had a clown costume. He changed out of his clothes. There are a few more of these planted items that were callbacks to that earlier time. So some of that time they put in there does lead to that build-up reveal of this detective picking him apart and seemingly pulling out his plan. The plan is somewhat similar, Yeah, at least. Um, I think the delivery is just a little bit, again, like we were saying, faster-paced for the 2007. It is a relentless cat-and-mouse conversation. Uh, I would say in the 72 version, Andrew loses his cool more. He's more frantic. He's sweating. He's like... I trying, he's, he's trying to beg with the, the detective. He's like, look, I used the blank. And, and he's like, I see live rounds in the wall. He's like, well, I shot twice, but the third one was a blank. And this is all the setup for a joke. You see, it's a joke, right? And the detective's like, this doesn't sound like a joke. If you're firing live rounds in your house. Doesn't seem like a nice thing to do to someone. Yeah. And so the detective in the new one's probably a little angrier with him as well. And yes. I, I say that somewhat may have... And I might be at a disadvantage here because I watched the original first, so I know that this next step is coming. But uh, I think it still would show sooner that turns out Milo is the detective the whole time, and he unveils himself, and that this whole investigation is a return prank to make him sweat because he was humiliated. So the cop then. The cop, oh, and Milo, same yes. person, end up, yeah, getting back at Andrew for humiliating him. I think Kane uh, is a little smoother, but again, uh, the Olivier version of it, or uh, the original 72 version of it, shows him like grabbing his heart more like, man, I need a drink, or like, I almost died like right now because this was too much for me. That brings up a good point, though. The differences between an eccentric, wealthy man versus the character is played instead in the new one as a, again, wealthy man. They're both authors, but Andrew Wyke in the 2007 remake is more psychotic and more cold and detached emotionally for the most part. So he manipulates easier and quicker without frills. It doesn't take a lot of effort for him to do this. Yeah, and I would say that uh, the Olivier version, the original one, takes... He's invested more in this. Like, he's more, du he's more duped, and he feels like, you got me. 
And he's like, I didn't, I got you better, but you know, and it starts to, as he's trying to work out of it, he still wants to get a one up because these guys are always trying to one up each other. So what do you say? Then we get to move to act three where it starts to get different. Things do change. So I'll go with the original one first here. Milo stages a second game saying that uh, he has killed Andrew's mistress, Tanya, who he admitted to having openly. And he said the police are on their way and that he has hidden four pieces of evidence leaking Andrew to the murder of Tanya in his mansion. And he is waiting to find them in a panic. And again, he pretty much gives it to him, but very slowly. Timing is like they should, Yeah, you should be here in about 15 minutes. What else have you found? And he builds riddles with him to watch him run around his house, dig through coal, break things of his own in search for stuff. Uh, and, you know, turning himself against himself as he's afraid that he's about to get arrested. And there is evidence, at least to this It could scene. be probable. Yeah. Absolutely. But it turns out this is a setup as well, and this is a second consecutive joke. So it's more of a, uh, cut, gotcha, psych, and then you set it up, okay, but really, I really did game. get you again. And then, up, oh, psych again! <laughs> and so, uh, it, by... The original version, he's up in the count by I joked you twice versus you got me once. And yeah, yours is probably better, but I got you twice. So take that. So in the remake, do you want to take this one? It is slightly different. The idea behind it is the same. So Milo was saying, I believe the line was something, after all, you scared me half to death. Mm -hmm. So he absolutely has the quote unquote right to manipulate Andrew Wyke even more. Mm -hmm. So he takes advantage of that, absolutely. He takes over control of the house and he manipulates Wyke into thinking that they would be a good partner to each other in crime, in life. They would be able to live their life as happily as they have been throughout this whole scenario, because they do say that they both, and it's very apparent also on their faces, they both are enjoying this immensely. Well, there's a trick before this one, too. Because in the well, the remake, in the, re in the remake, as soon as he's disguised and he's no longer the detective, he immediately takes a gun and points it back on Andrew. And yeah, it's so the same he, thing as the original. So he is a much more aggressive. He's scaring him. He's being violent in his nature, and uh, he is staging an armed robbery of the jewels as if to say, like, you didn't give me your jewels? I'm really going to take your now jewels I'm gonna now. I'm going to take them. Yeah, I mean, which is pretty similar to the original. Yeah. In terms of he's manipulating Andrew in a violent manner. He's, he's tricking him, but, I mean, he, the jewels are done in the first movie, so he's not going back after the jewels ever again in the original. That's true. I think we maybe see him one more time, but the in the remake they do have them very prominently displayed. And then he points out that I'm not stealing your jewels, and he makes them wear them, and I don't want your jewels. Humili and humiliates him. And then we then go it's into... The, let's be partners. Yes. And so as Andrew proposes to then live with Milo in a... Uh, I believe he's proposing in a kind of a gay relationship with him. It sounds like that. Saying like, hey, why don't you let my wife go? And we I, could like, be good. I, I like you. I like your mind. I like the way you think. We uh, could be good, you know. Yeah. And so Jude Law's version of Milo leads him on 
and he never really seems invested. I, he I don't, he leads I, him on and manipulates him and then takes it back. I don't, and then manipulates and takes it back. I don't believe at any point he's actually taking it seriously, or at least in how it's performed. Like, I don't believe that Jude Law's version of Milo is saying, like, hmm, I think I will run away with you. I would have to disagree with you. I think there's a, a quick point in time where Jude Law's character, as, as Milo, does actually consider the proposal that they would be, they would have fun together. They would be able to live out an awesome life. However, Maggie calls, he gets a phone call from the wife. And at that point in time, then yes, I would agree with you. It's completely a sham. And you can see that Milo has been manipulating. So where these both converge back at the end is Andrew is angry and unable to lose this game. Absolutely. He refuses to lose this game. Uh, perhaps more so in the original one, it's just a sportsmanship. I can't be bested by this, what would he call it? A wop. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, which I guess means a prep. I don't know. Or like, a, I don't know. Young money. I don't even know what that means. What, what is a wop? Right into the show if you're British and can help us out with that. Uh, we'll ask Andy at work. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, but the police arrive in the original version and... Uh, as they're coming up the hill, Andrew shoots Milo. For real. And then we hear the sirens go off instantaneously. Absolutely. And so he realizes there were police really coming, and he has really committed murder. And as Milo is presumed to die on the couch, he remembers, he says, remember, it was all just a game. As this rich man is about to lose everything. Uh, For real. After being made to think he was going to lose it, panicking, then he thought he took control and said, I'm going to shoot you. Uh, well, it doesn't Can't go so... Wolf. Yeah. So great, ironic finish, dark finish. Uh, I think s- the 2007 one's a little bit darker in, it, in the end. So similar in the 2007, he's mad and unable to lose. and He then, does shoot him. Yes. However, the ending is very different and very abrupt after that, that... There are no cops called because this was, as it was proposed previously, a partnership between the two Mm -hmm. to play games. Uh, Milo's dead, and the phone call happens again. We don't know if it's Maggie on the first take, but at the end, you realize that there's someone on the phone in a sports car driving on a country road. It's Maggie. And it ends up, we don't even know, though. We don't know that it's Maggie because it's just a sports car that pulls up. There's no cops. Andrew White got away with it. Who knows how many times he's done this? How many lovers has Maggie had that she's brought home for Andrew to manipulate and kill? That's a very dark way of looking at it. But there's no <laughs> cops on this one, and Andrew gets away with it. That's a fun take on it. I wish they had, let, I wish they had pushed that angle. Uh, and then the movie closes. And so there you go. That's a far more in-depth version than we normally do. But I thought it was important to do it that way in order so that you could see the major points at which points the story are different. Most remakes are a retelling of the story with small differences, but I think it's safe to say, wouldn't you agree, that these movies are very different stories? They're different. Absolutely, they're different stories, and they're different characters that happen to have the same name. Mm-hmm. They, it, it, so it, they lend to each other, but they're completely different. But they still are pay homage to each other as well, I think, in a really good, honest way. So let's talk about the uh, where the source material for this one comes from. This is actually a play, a 1970 Tony Award-winning play, and I th- 
Andrew Schaefer? Andrew Schaefer is, or Anthony Schaefer. Anthony, Anthony sorry. Schaefer. I'm thinking of Andrew Wyke. I apologize. Yes. Uh, you can almost tell that it's a play and that there are not a lot of scene changes. It is very simple. It is very dialogue-driven between two people. It is very performer-driven. It is not very environment-driven. Correct. And this movie did do very well on Broadway, and you can see why it converted well to the movies. It's interesting that they made this into a movie only two years after its stage accolades. Normally, uh, people wait longer. And again, Schaefer had hesitancy to steal the thunder of his play by releasing this movie because if more people go see your movie cat's out of the bag you know what's coming and the play may not be the same for you again so uh play's not a musical nope plays a play like uh much like the movie so it's very loyal to the adaptation of it whereas the remake is by pinter harold pinter did the screenplay yes um the remake also is similar and pays nod, you know, towards the play as well of it's really about the two people. There, there is somewhat of scene change here and there, but it's a very modern house that's like concrete, modern interior finish, no flourish, nothing. It, it points to this is between the two people and it's a constant dialogue. It could happen anywhere with any scene, but it's still lends to the same thought, the same plot, and at the end it resolves somewhat similar. So let's talk about a few more differences, uh, contrast between the two versions. I think one thing that's interesting is Andrew, again, being an eccentric in the original movie, played by Olivier, is a gamer. Every room has billiards, darts, board games, hedge mazes, where we first are introduced to them. He's a very playful man, but no games big enough stakes for him. And so he does view this as a strange game and Milo takes it indignantly and wants to quote unquote game him back. With lethal results. As as Katie mentioned, uh, Andrew in the remake is not a gamesman, but really more of a He's sociopath. an author. He's just an, ex- an author and he is a psychotic. Okay, yes. Morbid jealousy, I believe, is what he said. He suffers from morbid jealousy, which keeps him from having any regrets about causing harm to another. I also believe that we like Milo over Andrew in the original. Your audience is decisively set to root for Milo in the original. The new one, in the remake, not so much. It's, Andrew's... it's not either of them, really. Yes. You don't have enough time to like one or the other because you're trying to pay attention too much to what is going on that you really can't pick a yeah. character that you like. I'd and it s- changes throughout the movie. I'd say that I ended up feeling sorry for Andrew in the remake at some points because uh, because Milo's so mean at some points. And so they you're normally in Milo, Michael Caine, old original version. You're distinctly in his corner. And even though it doesn't finish well for him and that he dies, in a way, he kind of gets the last laugh. And the audience leaves there saying, like, I'm settled, you know. Dark irony, who saw that coming? Woo, my mind's blown again. But the good part about the second one, though, is that you do feel bad for Andrew again, a little bit. You do. Until the very end. His and wife comes you, crawling back to him. But you I mean, got to realize that by his demeanor, it had to have all been planned. I'd say no they, remorse. I'd say they want you to like Andrew better in the remake. That's a big difference, I think. I'm going to have to disagree. I, I think I would I would still stick with it's not about really liking 
the characters. It's about the back and forth conversation, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth of who's one-upping who in a conversation instead of in a game. The game that's being played is on top of the conversation. But like you really don't, there are fleeting moments throughout the remake where you like each one more than the other, but it changes back and forth until the very end. Another small interesting difference is it's much more about class in the original. We have yes. we have a character, Milo, who is successful in his own right. He's a hairdresser with multiple salons and he's doing well. But doing well is a relative term compared to this renowned writer who's in a mansion, his old money, and you know, he's not afraid to say, like, you don't have money, you're not important, you're nobody. Look at you in your little salon over there. That's cute. Good and, luck. Yeah. And whereas Jude Law's version of Milo in the remake isn't a poor actor. He doesn't he doesn't have money. He's out of work actor. Yeah. He's ambitious. he's ambitious. He says you'll hear about me someday, but In spades. Is that threatening? I don't know, is it? Isn't it? Scene change. <laughs> so uh that, that's that's a big difference in the two of them. That's the that's the source of why uh, Olivier's Andrew is so angry that not only is wife being stolen, but he's being stolen by somebody who's younger. And I hate the very principle of what Cuter. you are. Yeah, and so he's not even rich. It's jealousy, but it's not morbid jealousy. It's like a different level of jealousy. And in the remake, this one of my favorite lines actually after watching the original. In the remake, there's a point in the movie where Wyke says to Milo, you're a hairdresser, which is a nod back to the original role that Milo had, his original job. And Milo pulls his hair out and he goes, I'm not a hairdresser. I'm an actor. And freaks out. Same thing. So another interesting one is Andrew appears to get off scot-free. In the end, which changes the... In the remake. Yes. Yes. He gets the upper hand. He shoots him. He wins. His wife even comes back to him. And so at the end of this, Milo has nothing to show for it. Whereas in the original, Milo kind of won. He's dead. He still has nothing to show for it. But he won. But he did pull one over on on Wyke twice. He got the girl. He got his mistress to to play along and to actually cooperate with a phone call. To, Absolutely. To... to get him back he he's sending him to prison stripping him of his whole lifestyle really it all went pretty well i uh you know if only he had been carried out on like a stretcher at the end like into an ambulance <laughs> like for sure. with a thumb up like as he's getting into the ambulance of saying like <laughs> it's only a game absolutely i i agree with you I, there's a part of me that wants to see that alternate ending actually so well maybe we can remake it and I'm, do a little short we can add to the end I of this. I might have showed some of my cards for later for the change one thing. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> that, that's one of those ones. Um, so without uh, changing clothes or the painting of, uh, uh, or sorry, planting uh, his clothes seems a bit uh, out of nowhere in the remake, as I mentioned before. So uh, there's a little bit more of a deliberate setup. But he does explain. He does. He does explain that while Andrew was out, he snuck in and he took pig's blood from the garden, like the gardener, something, and then uh, used the pig's blood to hide the clothes and then left, just left while Andrew was away. And the other thing is the phone calls at the end of the remake, as you mentioned. Which you is, said it was which, distracting? I think, I think, yeah, Margaret is coming back and 
I feel like it's distracting. It does change or accelerate the reveal of Jude Law's Milo and is saying like, I'm not living with you. But but it's interesting that she's calling Milo. However, we don't know that that's her calling Milo. He makes it seem like it's her calling Milo. I assume it is. So yeah, we're supposed to assume it. We don't know though. So then she's calling Milo, but she's coming back to her husband. Or is she coming back to the mansion to get Milo? We don't know. Because she doesn't know. That's true. What happened. The other thing I would like to say, actually, is they do, again, this is kind of a nod to the original in the remake. They very prominently have this beautiful leather coat that's on a mannequin that looks to be in the shape of a woman with a hat. And it kind of portrays Maggie like as the elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, I believe there are one or two shots of, uh, I don't remember the actress's name. She, I think she was a model or something like that. But she, they show her face mm-hmm. as a giant portrait. But that's the only image of Maggie that you ever get to see. Well, and in a... the original, he had, remember he was messing with the red raincoat yes. that was hanging at the door. That's a symbol of how she freshly removed she is from the situation she hasn't even gotten her stuff out of there it's it's an open wound and to think that he would be in such good spirits probably didn't make sense again adding to the eccentricity of the character or so it seems he was quite upset it turned out yeah they both seem pretty imbalanced so as we talked about earlier and perhaps we should have talked about this sooner but cast let's talk cast we got in the original and as mentioned before Lawrence olivier big time actor a lot of cachet coming into this. Return to the big screen, uh, playing Andrew Wyke. Whereas in the remake, uh, Michael Caine plays Andrew Wyke. And what's interesting about the original is that uh, Michael Caine plays Milo Tendel. And in the remake, Jude Law plays Milo Tendel. Absolutely. And so that's it. One interesting uh, adjustment the original casting makes is they include names of Alex Cawthorn. John Matthews, Eve Channing, and Teddy Martin. And these play the Inspector Doppler, uh, Detective Sergeant Tarrant, uh, Marguerite Wyke. None of these characters are in the movie. And they're fake credits. And they're credits only. So that when you see the poster, you don't suspect, oh, there's only two people in this. And so you don't see the fact that the Inspector is indeed Michael Caine. I was disappointed to see, and maybe it's the fact that it's a remake, that there was no similar gesture made in the new one. Even as a homage, I would like to see that. I agree, but I, I kind of feel like it's a it's a frill. And the remake is not about frills at all. It's about black and white, cut to the chase, this is what it is, let's go. It's true. So I think that... Speed, speed is on its side at this point, because if you stop and ask yourself... Wait a minute, I thought there were only two names in this You're going to lose info. You're going to... You'll miss something. You're going to figure it out. But, but I mean, because they move faster in the first one, I think you could be surprised. Were you surprised by the reveal in the first one? Well, I... Oh, sorry, saw, the re- were you surprised? When I'm I watched sorry, the when you, remake? When you first watched the remake, were you surprised? I wasn't necessarily surprised, but I was taken aback by how well... So you did see it. They did his makeup. I wasn't sure. Okay. I knew it was only two actors, but at that point in time, I had forgotten about everything on the cover. I had forgotten about who was in the movie. I was trying to figure out what was going on. And they distracted me enough that it looked like Jude Law under the makeup, kind of, sort of, but 
Hmm. They did a good job making him look really not attractive at all. The, well, I actually saw I actually saw that Kane again. I, once the reveal is out there, I, the, the remake had no chance to fool me. But the in the original, I got again. It's a longer reveal too. Yes. I got what I thought was only partway into it, and then I heard some words. And Michael Kane's got a very distinct way of talking. And there was a little bit of a let out where he let a Kane word or two go through. <laughs> but <laughs> sneak he, through, yes. Yes, and in doing so. I looked at him harder, and then I yes. detected this guy's not really bald. And then, and then I started to be like, "Is this Kane?" And I was mad at myself. I said nothing because my wife didn't necessarily see this coming. Next to me, she's watching it for the first time. Next to me as well. And luckily, like three minutes later, he reveals himself. And I'm Thankfully. just like, "Oh, thank good," because I was gonna be like, "I don't want to wait around in 40 more minutes of this movie, like, <laughs> and then like have like ruined it for myself." Well, the interesting too, thing about the remake as well is that the way that Michael Caine in the original, yeah. as Milo, removes his contact out of his eye, there's a shot of one blue eye and one brown eye that's very, very specific. And the way he pulls off his hair is very specific. Mm-hmm. They do, they mimic that almost exactly in the remake. There is a shot of Jude with one blue, one brown, and the way he starts to take off his hair it's another is nod. somewhat similar it's another like yeah nod back to the original so sir michael Caine was actually the third choice for milo tendal in the original uh, production uh, they yeah. wanted to go with albert finney uh and also sir alan bates uh who was actually schaefer's pick for the part uh but joe mankowitz picked olivier and kane in the end and prevailed and i think those are good choices alan bates turned down the role saying that it was beneath him. So uh, it was praised, and I don't know what Alan Bates went on to do instead, but I promise you it didn't get as good of reviews. Or uh, we wouldn't, We're not talking about it, whatever it is. So well, The movie was made as it was supposed to be, right? Yes. Well, he went to see the play. He saw Milo get shot in an intermission and left, thinking, like, I'm not doing this. Oh, yeah, because in the original, in the play, they were talking about that 15-minute intermission. Who does that? Like, I mean, like, who, who moves out in the middle of the play and says, I'm not playing this character. It's not big <laughs> enough for me. He's dead in the first half. I don't think so. So he didn't deserve it because he didn't appreciate the material. Uh, I agree. So Michael Caine was so beside himself uh, that he was working with Sir Lawrence Olivier that he didn't know how to address him. And, uh, interesting <laughs> yeah, this story. is a great quote. And so he eventually breaks down and just straight up asks me, he's like, I don't know what to call you. And he said, uh, I'm Lord Olivier. And you're Michael, and you're Mr. Michael Caine, of course. But then after the, that's only the first time. After that, I'm Larry, and you're Mike. And he, oh. was, he was disarming and made it uh, fun for him. And there's a similar story later how Lol's actually a little bit awestruck to be playing with Michael Caine. I, yeah, absolutely. I would be as well. Well, Michael Caine's got quite a resume by the time he's older and doing the role. So it's it's a fun turn of. That's a fun way that that worked out. In both movies, even though there's different actors in the quote-unquote lesser role, in the lover's role. Uh, this is Olivier's first uh, movie since 1966 of Cosrom. Uh, he had done a lot of uh, film, I'm uh, sorry, theater work, uh, but unfortunately he was dismissed from the National Theater just before the filming of Sleuth began. He was devastated and depressed throughout the filming of this, and he also had some memory problems as well. So there were a lot of challenges for Olivier to come back to movies and do this. Uh, 
Uh, he was not in the best of states. Doesn't really show, though. No, I think he, I think he pulled it through actually quite well. So um. this is the second movie of Sir Michael Caine's uh, readapted uh, by Jude Law, which, what was the first one? Alfie, I believe. That's right, in 2004. That didn't go well either. Make uh, both both of these movies failed to make money. So yeah, I think it's to a target audience though. I mean, because people who like them are all in. I don't think Jude Law should go remake Cider House Rules because the, the box <laughs> office is is really stacked against him at this point. So it might not be a good idea. So no more no more. Uh, he shouldn't play Alfred in, in a future Batman movie. No, <laughs> and he shouldn't and he, and he shouldn't play Austin Powers' his father. Probably not. So uh, Kane had not seen the movie actually since it was made and he intentionally did not go back and watch the original Sleuth movie from 72 because he felt the new one was so new and the reason he wanted to do it at all was because Harold Penter had done the screenplay and he enjoyed acting in that uh, role that Penter had written as his first performance uh, from Penter's first uh, play and this was his last performance. project and so Kane did his first and his last yeah that's good so let's talk about the film creation here just a little bit uh as i mentioned earlier schaefer was actually reluctant to sell the film rights to the play at all he was fearful it would undercut the success of the stage uh show and pinter made changes in his remake uh with the direction and the tone abruptly and he reused none of the original dialogue of the original movie. So to some degree, that's why Kane said he came back. Because he was essentially doing a different movie. That's right. With a similar plot. He saw no reason to remake the same movie from before, and he wouldn't have done it then. So let's talk about Mankiewicz, or Joseph Mankiewicz versus Kenneth Branagh as director. Katie, what are your thoughts here on their different approach to... I would say that the biggest difference between Mankiewicz and uh, Kenneth Branagh was the need for a lush environment and a very full scene to look at to accommodate the actors to deliver messages and to rely on your atmosphere to tell the story as well as the actors are doing mm-hmm. however with Brano it's 100% on the actors he ends up using the house interior which is quite plain and modern and the lighting and reflections to pretty much dictate the scenes, but to keep directing you back to the actors. So it's like one is over the top on frills and fill, and then the other one is pretty much vacant on fills and frill, but still delivers the same amount of uh, passion, maybe, I guess would be a good word. In addition to Olivier's struggles that he had with this, also Mankiewicz was having trouble in the original remake, or sorry, in the original production, it took uh, additional time because he was having health problems and they actually shut down filming at periods of time. And so it's slowed down process. It's a longer movie to begin with. And so uh, Mankiewicz made his movie in 16 weeks and Bronoff made his movie in only five weeks. He's quite an organized gentleman coming in with everything already ready, already needing just the actors to go through the screenplay. And they shot it in sequence, I believe. And his actor, and his lead actor, also didn't have memory problems. Well, that does that does help a yes. little bit. <laughs> Michael Caine in an interview says, "I don't know what we did for all that time, but when you start to hear what they were up against, you're like, I get it. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why you can't remember why it took you so long because it, it, 
You know, you got memory problems, you got health problems, you shut down the production. It makes sense. Longer movie. But uh, one thing Brana does, he shoots the entire movie in sequence. I really like that. Uh, I would think as an actor that would help a ton. I would think as an act, I would be intimidated as an actor, uh, mainly because, you know, once you get in the role of playing and talking mm-hmm. and cadence back and forth, there's a greater chance that if you miss a line, you really can't redo it. So you have to nail it and you have to do it right. And your body language has to be exactly correct, which again is why I'm thinking that the fact that Brano decided to strip down the atmosphere and give it to the actors to keep everything together is uh, fair. Yes. And this is a studio driven movie as we'll get to here in a minute. But yeah, the other one was on location, right? Not much. Not much. The garden? No. Yeah, I was going to say outside. Actually, we'll get to, put a pin on that too. But one thing that we also want to mention here is that Brana does not focus in any of the faces in the early going. He's slow to reveal them. He shows them through the technology. Uh, he has a lot of unusual perspectives. You don't really see them face-to-face. Yeah, I would agree. And the remake, you don't see him face-to-face until they start talking about the proposition. It, it's almost like he wants to keep you off balance he does. from the beginning and feel the tension and feel the... Mankiewicz wants to lure you in with a sense of even warmth. Like these men are kind of Jovial. prickly <laughs> and like going at each other, but they're gentlemen and it's all will be well. And as soon enough, these men seem to be having a good time on their own. That's not a, that's not what Brana does. Absolutely not. It's like menace from the moment you see Milo's car pull up next to Wyke's car and you walk in the house and it's on and it's menacing. It's not comfortable. Blitter Moulton's opinion of this is brutal. Uh, he gave it his bomb rating, which is his lowest rating that he gives. He runs on a four star scale, but he has a bomb if it's below the, any of the stars. And uh, he said that every ounce of it uh, entertainment was drained from the original and that he's called it unbelievably bad. Uh, is Leonard Moulton right? Uh, what, what, Absolutely what? not. Yeah. I don't think this guy saw the movie for what it was and not for being a remake. I think he was comparing it to the original, which you cannot do. It is its own movie. I think he was overly defensive of the original back in the 70s. Which is, he gave of course, it, he gave Olivier. It, he gave it four out of four stars in the first one. So, And that, if you think Ebert's tough... Uh, Malton is even more stingy with his uh, ratings. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe one a year. Wow, really? Really? Yeah. So he's really tough with those. Uh, like I said, his five star is a four star. So uh, I, I would disagree with his rating absolutely. But it also lends to the fact you're talking about Rotten Tomatoes and the audience reception and everything was being somewhat lower on the remake. I don't think they're giving it credit, and I want to just give Brana and absolutely. Penter and Kane and to a lesser extent, Law credit. This is a different movie. Normally I watch a remake and I go, this isn't very good. This time, I do prefer the original. And I'm showing my hand a little bit more here. I do like the original better, but I didn't feel like I watched the same movie again. And if I hadn't watched them two days apart, I think I would have liked it even more. And I originally suggested, actually, the second movie to you due to our background in architecture and design. And it's the power of the remake is in your face immediately. And it beats you throughout the whole movie. And at the end... It's a twist, and it's done, and you can take a breath. As an architect, I love this house. We'll talk about the atmosphere here just a little bit. I was disappointed to find out it was done in a studio. None oh, of, come on. I, I, I hoped it was a real house. 
Ah, the exterior was. There were a couple shots in the exterior. That was an actual on location, but... Yeah. But the, that whole interior, though, was... Uh, stage... We don't have to worry about structure. Good stage work, though. <laughs> I can make anything work. But also, too, the, the mansion from Mankiewicz's version is also all done in the Pinewood Studios. So, in London. So Yeah, they just use the exterior. Also just it. the exterior. Yep. Even the hedge maze that they go into is created solely for the purpose of the movie. The sculptures look pretty fresh, in fairness. The garden kind of looks fresh as well. I think they should have put some age on those uh, statues. Some patina. Yeah. And probably a little bit thicker on the shrubs. They were all just immediately chiseled, which, again, if you're carving these things out of stone, you'd have to have uh, 32. Yeah, you would have had 32, like, people (laughs) out there with chisels and hammers going, making it out of, like, styrofoam. You all have to look new. Yes, exactly. Yes. These are things that architects think about sometimes. I don't know. My mind goes there. Yeah, sometimes we can't help it. Going back into the storytelling a little bit, though, as a detective novel would clearly do, uh, Mankiewicz directs you. He wants you to pay attention uh, to certain things. He's intentionally misleading you. He's pulling big twists, uh, and you don't uh, necessarily see these things coming as much because he's taking you in a very different mood there's more stuff involved there's more characters in terms of tanya or have you ever there's stories and side tangents and as the architecture as we just were talking about was more minimal so too is brana's approach there's one reason why this movie's much shorter they don't do that no absolutely not there's not a lot of superfluous interaction between the two i dare say it's all important absolutely yeah the um, director is using the setting to coincide and clash with the dialogue. The house is an enhancement of the ultimate power over the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, the feeling of menace is for and foreboding danger is constant. The only constant in the entire film and the remake is the change. Everything is always changing and keeping you uncomfortable. Hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it's it's the dialogue and the actors are the constant. But everything else around them is changing constantly. So it's very clean and modern. It's easy to see that the actors are more important, but the setting itself can manipulate or lend to giving one actor more power over a situation versus the other one. You can tell who's major and who's minor. You can tell who's in control based off of just the lighting and the reflections, as if we were saying before. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was saying also that, you know, it's kind of like in The Matrix where Morpheus and Neo are talking after he takes the red pill and he's loading him into different scenes. Yeah. And with Sleuth, the remake, you could easily pick up Jude Law and Michael Caine and plop them anywhere in any different scene in any other movie. It wouldn't matter because you're still focused on the actors more than you are in the background. And the story could continue. Well, like the concept of universal space in architecture or like a, which comes from a Japanese principle of having a, a open room that you can then change the function of it by what you move through it. This is another extension of that by using media. Absolutely. He's able to alter the space by what the projectors are doing, what the fire is doing. It's a blank slate, but at the same time, if this thing wasn't all lit in pale blue lights the whole time to make you feel uneasy, it actually could express a great range of moods. Absolutely. Which, uh, the lighting as, is very as important. As a champion of modern architecture, I wish that they had showed you some of the happy sides that the house can certainly <laughs> undergo when you're melancholy uh, or feeling anxiety plagued, which the movie certainly flexed all of those motions. 
Absolutely. Modern, <laughs> modern architecture gets a bad rap in a lot of movies. They, they use it to make you uncomfortable a lot. And the reason they do that is because most people live in a normal little happy house with a little gable on it and all this stuff. And to be in a house that's so open in terms of usually glass Concrete. or vastness, there's no thing to hide behind. There's no banister to jump behind there's no sense of shadow it's, it's all it's, you're all in the open and then it leaves you with a sense of being exposed yep and directors usually latch onto this as a way to make you feel uncomfortable so um i give applause to breno for being able to manipulate the scenes through minimal minimal actions and exactly and so too does he do it here but in a way as you mentioned it, it complements the direction style of brana so yep uh, absolutely uh, one complaint I have about Mankiewicz is it was not clear any time had passed after the th- uh, theoretical murder of Milo. It looks like he shot him and then went downstairs to his kitchen to get a snack. And Yeah, I, was, I had an issue with that as well. There was no time passage. It zoomed in on a doll, like one of his creepy dolls. It, it lingered there for a minute and then... Ate some caviar and yeah, the cop calls. Yeah, and, and we don't find out until mid-conversation that... The detective Doppler is coming in two days later and saying that he was missing. Now, was that dramatic and interesting? Yes, but Mankiewicz doesn't disorient you that much. Again, I was talking about like it's a detective novel. He's guiding you through here. He shows you what he wants to show you, when he wants to show you, so that you go on the ride that he wants you to go on. And he's good at that. This one thing, I didn't think that he did a good job there. I would I would have to agree it's, with you. Or it's, or it's an inconsistency. It could have been done a little bit better to show the expression of time we don't even know if there was time between i I mean we know that he talked to taya but we don't know i mean he could have set all that up also in the beginning he did need time to set that up which again i'm not i have no complaint that it's two days i just the representation of two days it wasn't show the sun going up and down or something show shadows moving across the room do a time lapse or something like that on those creepy mannequin doll oh no. If you haven't picked up, Katie's not into the dolls. At all. No, they really creep me out. I'm sorry. I I, I cannot handle them. Hi, I'm Chucky. I'm your friend of the end. Oh, Heidi ho. Basically, yeah. Let's talk about the soundtrack for just a minute. As you mentioned, let's start with the remake. It's minimal, right? Absolutely. Like, you don't have a lot of songs, per se. No. It's supporting. It's like a supporting actor. Another T- piece. Tenuous cold uh not like jarring rigid but so it's smooth but cold it, yeah it directs detached. you and there's sadness in it i'd say melancholy definitely yes which probably contributes to why i feel more sorry for andrew in this and, <laughs> and the house is all blue and music so, is quite manipulative so it's in not the, playful it's somber in the second one in the remake in yes. the re- yeah in the remake yeah and the first one, in the same way that we told you that Mankiewicz is taking you through this eclectic house and it's so eccentric and everything's all over the place, my first thought was, this music's very playful. Are we getting in for a comedy or something here? It was and confusing at first. It was bright first. at times, and when it got tense, then it did get tense. So the, the soundtrack uh, again goes on that ride that Mankiewicz will take you up and down, up and down, and... Uh, as much as he varied your emotions and played with your emotions of like, haha, now we're having fun, to, oh wait, you're pointing a gun at me. Oh wait, you're pointing a gun at me. Like, for real this time. So, uh, John Addison's, uh, we got an Oscar nomination for his score in that, and uh, it had some Cole Porter music in there as well. It's funny, at the opening scene, when they're looking at those dioramas in the beginning, that, uh, Mary, Mary 
knew that song though because her dad listens to Cole Porter music. She says, I, "Have I seen this movie? I've I've heard the song." <laughs> That's crazy. I know. So she did know the song. I was just like, "No, you don't. You haven't seen this." And like at the end, she's like, she's like "It sounds like Cole Porter." And then like during the credits or whatever, it says <laughs> "Song by Cole Porter," and she's like, "I was right." See. So. Yeah. Do you have Do you have any look for this moment that you want to share? We've covered so much. I honestly, the the biggest thing I can say for the 2007 remake is. It is all important. The TV head guy. Yeah. That's Pinter. Pinter, there is one point in the conversation, yes, uh, you're correct, where you see the back of Branagh's head on a screen, and Harold Pinter is yelling at him with his face, so he gets credited as an actor. So an interesting thing to note is in the first movie, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not much of a drinker on this one, uh, he offers him, do you want a drink? And he says, I'd like a vodka. And he doesn't have it. And he gives him gin. And, in the original, and, yes. In the original. And in the remake, Andrew, played by Kane, same actor, has He asks for vodka, and I think it's vodka and bourbon. Sorry, yeah, he has vodka, which is the drink that he asked for in the original movie. And he already knew. And he has that. And he knew what Milo was going to ask for. He already had that drink ready. So it's another very subtle tip of the hat. And I actually think this is probably my favorite reference back to the original movie was the, that was that the drink, drinks was the drink thing very small i wouldn't have caught it if i hadn't watched the movies two days two days apart yeah it is it is quite yeah i would agree uh and then another thing that we mentioned the 1972 versions uh olivia and kane both uh were, it was the first time the entire cast was nominated for academy awards so. doesn't happen very often at no. all everybody got nominated for an academy award everybody gets a prize we're good and it's also one of only nine movies to receive uh, two actors from the same movie for a nomination for Best Actor. So I don't have the list of those other nine right now, but this is one of nine. Even though there's really only two roles. Well, they didn't call either one of them a supporting actor is the point. So yeah, they, they, that was a question. Yeah. So. I mean, they're both, yeah, lead. The only other thing that I found interesting, actually, when we were talking about the director and director styles and everything, was that uh, if you look at Branagh's other movies, he stars in every single one of them. And I get a feeling it's like a control, a control on the production to make sure that the movie goes the way that he wants it to. But he stars in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. He's in Hamlet as the lead role. And he does have a minute piece in, uh, in Sleuth as well. And if you're wondering who both Kane and Olivier lost to in that Oscars, it was Marlon Brando for The Godfather. So That's okay. The competition's pretty <laughs> stiff. That's okay. In that particular round of Oscars. So, also Peter O'Toole walked away a loser in that one. So, heavy, Ooh. yeah, it's a lot of weight there. For young Michael Caine. That would Kane, be really hard For young to Michael Caine, this is pretty cool to be associated with... You know, these, all of these, these great names, people for sure. Absolutely. Uh, I got to ask, how does this movie affect you, or how do these movies? I should say you can break it into two if you need to. Well, they affect, they personally they affect me differently. I I do like the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, it was too long for me. Mm-hmm. I have a very short attention span, and again, as you mentioned previously, I'm not a huge fan of the mannequin things in there those dolls really do creep me out it did make me uneasy want to play i yeah no thank you chucky but in the second one 
I, I think the reason that I, I'm more for the remake anyway is just because it's faster paced. You get in, you go, it's done. And at the end, it kind of slaps you in the face, which makes me want to go back and watch it again. Whereas the first one, I didn't really want to watch again. It adds one more wrinkle yeah. to things. And you kind of do a, wait, what just happened? Yeah. And then you literally, you could go back and watch it again in about the same time frame as watching the first one. You know, watching both of these movies takes me back to a trick that I'm not much of one. I'm not much of a trickster. I normally just make comments uh, and, and observations, <laughs> yes, on, observations on things that I see. And I uh, sometimes have a different way of looking at things. But the best trick that I probably played on my wife at times where I would, uh, you know, wait inside my dorm room like we had like one of these like kind of alcoves that had like a curtain in front of it and so i'd leave the door open for her so she could just walk in not knowing how long it'll take her to get there the door locks on its own when it closes and i'd stand behind the curtain occasionally jump out and, and hug her or grab her depending on how you view the, the, the whole situation from, oh from my behind God. the sheet and the first time i did it i got a pretty good reaction and then i did it a few more times and it was just she might see it coming and fun was had but Flash forward to many, many years later, we're living in uh, Pittsburgh on our first apartment that we lived together. And this is a big place. I don't know why it was so big. Uh, it, it was an awesome place. But I turned off pretty much all the lights except for the one in the living room. And oh, my God. So she starts to come down the hallway and I can see in the reflection that she's coming down the glass. But I'm in a dark <laughs> closet. Again, dark closet. Uh, there's more darkness involved in this case. And so she's like saying like, Russ... Where are you? Like oh walking God. around the house. And I'm just sitting there going like, this is going to be pretty good. I can see when she turns the corner, but she can't see that it's just black. And so I jump out and uh, also grab her and, you know. like uh, Same thing. Yeah, same thing. Uh, you know, gently hug. This is not a violent motion. I'm not like you know, slamming anybody or anything like that. Oh, man. When she got uh, the surprise on that one, she was screaming loud. Her heart rate was elevated. She had terror in her eyes. And um, you just wanted to apologize. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I did too good of a job. And I was like, oh, no, no, this was a joke. I'm sorry. I'm this sorry. was a joke. This was a joke. And so I no longer sneak up on my wife because I don't want her to have a heart attack. So and it um, kind of reminds me of the movies, though, too. Right. The difference between the two movies. It's just a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so she probably owes me back for that one. So oh, I might help her prank you. Uh, I don't know. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We'll see what happens. She was thoroughly, uh, she was thoroughly pranked, as you could say, that which was, which was not good. Uh, most of these superlatives are very actor driven. And I, I think we've talked a lot about the other aspects of the movie. So this is just a very different unorthodox episode. So instead of going through hidden gem recast and all these things, let's talk about if you were to make this movie today, who would you put in these roles and you're not allowed to use Michael Caine or Jude Law or Lawrence <laughs> Olivier in this case. Who are you getting to play your, for let's do, let's do Andrew first. Who are you getting to play your older man, Andrew, if you did this today? I have to give you the caveat first that I'm not sure I would redo it. You have to in this case. It's, it's a, you know, you're, it's like Tropic Thunder. You've gone to a foreign country oh and you've been held hostage by a village of people and they demand to see one play put on over and over again. Oh, you got a and instead of Simple Jack, crowd? instead of Simple Jack, it's going to be Sleuth because it's your favorite movie. Sounds good. Uh, how about Robert Downey Jr. since we're talking about Tropic Thunder? Okay. 
<laughs> he doesn't have to paint his face, though. Just because they say it on TV don't mean it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Downey Jr., old enough to please, so he's your Andrew. Yeah I, would, yeah, I would absolutely say he's Andrew. He can be really manipulative, but he needs to be. With, uh, with my older actor, I'm going to go with John Malkovich. I would have to support that as well. I haven't really thought about the remake thing because I, I, I really wouldn't remake it. I know, but... But I, Malkovich would be a fantastic choice. Yeah, I think he'd take you on an emotional ride as well. With his eyes. Yeah, I think he'd get angrier too. I, I agree with that as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would be an excellent choice. Yeah. Who would you put in for Tyndall? Uh, for Milo. For, okay, so I'll do Tyndall first then. Um, Oscar Isaac. So if you've seen the new Star Wars movie, he is, or one, new Star Wars series, he is uh, Poe, but he's also an ex machina where he exhibits a character that goes in a wider range of eccentric motions. And I know it sounds like I'm casting Andrew, but I think that he has what it takes to be two different people. I think that he could be the stern detective who I've seen him do angry for sure, for certain in movies. But I've also seen warmth in him, too. So he's and, soft and, and cold. And humor in interviews as well. And so I'm going to go with John Malkovich and Oscar Isaac. Again, I don't feel the need to remake this movie again. But if I were to see a stage performance of Malkovich and Isaac doing this, I'd be excited. How about you? What is Who do you go with your Milo Tendall? I agree with you that it would have to be somebody that could be soft but cold at the same time. So in terms of who I would suggest to play Milo Tyndall, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to suggest that that role be played by a female. What kind of female actress are you looking for? The person, again, like you were saying, has to be soft and approachable, like a swindler, mm-hmm. but has to be really cold and calculated. Like more, maybe more psychotic than... Uh, Andrew Wyke was portrayed as, uh-huh. you know, maybe you reverse it so that Wyke's a little bit softer and Milo's a little bit more evil in the remake and as a female. I don't know exactly what female actor I would pick because I haven't watched as many movies as you. Well, that's an interesting one. We'll turn it on its head. But uh, so we got, uh, we have, let's see, you have, so we got Malkovich and uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Oscar Isaac and commodity unknown female actor here for if we were to do this again you could always see what their audience says too see if they have any ideas so we've come full circle do you want to rate this movie let's let's rate both of them on a five-star scale and say are these movies holding up and do you recommend them i absolutely would give both of them a five and i would recommend both of them i would also recommend as you stated to watch them with a different amount of a longer amount of time between the two uh-huh. And you have to, if you like classics, you should watch the original first. If you like the psychological thrillers, you should watch the second one first. So, and I hope this doesn't hurt. I'm going to go 4.5 on the on the new remake. One. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm going three on the remake. What would you give the three for? I'm just curious because I like both of them. Um... I think I've alluded to some degree of I liked the emotional range that the other one exhibited. I do like the aesthetics of the movie a ton. I didn't have a horse in the race per se. I felt like I felt a little bit like I might be rooting for Andrew, but I felt anchored to Milo in the first movie. And here 
Jude Law's performance, particularly as he got in his face yelling, it was just a game. I, I thought he was cruel. There's a sense of mean spiritedness in this that is hard to put your arms around. It's, it's trippy. It's mind bending. They both play with your mind a ton, but it's still really good. And I would recommend it. And then they're both holding up very well. They're just, they're very different movies. Ultimately, in the end of this comparison, they're very different movies that happen to have the same plot. So I would say you're going to like whichever one you see first because there are bombshell plot twists. The spoiler's so big. And you can never get the magic back. Once the genie's out of the bottle, you can't put it back in. So yes, I think I would enjoy watching this movie again, but I don't think I could ever enjoy it again as much as I could before. And that's why the original is not hitting that five-star level either for me, because I don't think the rewatchability is necessarily there as much, unless I return to this later and I start seeing all these little details that I didn't see before that make it richer, even though you know what's coming. Then you'd, be, then you'd be watching it for the details, like I watch Labyrinth. It's possible. And you memorize it and you look for other things. So, at any rate... It's worth watching. Absolutely. So... Yep, we got a 4.5 and a 3, and that's where I am, and a 5 and a 5. And John uh, gives it a million and a million because he's not here right now. And so we can, we can sub for him. Yes, I promise you, he watched both of these movies. He's just not here today. Movie selection for next time. Are you prepared to help us out with this? You get the honor, since John's not here, to help us out with this. Okay, I'll do my best. Awesome. So, option number one, 1995's Heat starring De Niro and Pacino. A group of professional bank robbers start to feel the heat from the police when they are unknowingly leave a clue at the latest heist. That's a good movie. Yes. Following along with this crime theme that we've got going on here, see what we're doing here? We're going to go with some crime movies. Option number two, 1997's L.A. Confidential. As corruption grows in the 1950s Los Angeles, three policemen one straight-laced, one brutal, and one sleazy investigates a series of murders with their own brand of justice. Mm-hmm. Option three, 2004's Collateral. A cab driver finds himself hostage of an engaging contract killer as he makes his rounds from hit to hit during one night in Los Angeles. Wow, we have two in L.A. Actually, he... He might even be in L.A. too. I don't remember. Well, since it's a crime thing, we'll just throw it into L.A. That's cool. Think, so out I, of the I three think, L.A. I think movies, all like crime maybe. Don't quote me on this. I, I I would have to pick L.A. Confidential. I like Confidential. I like that pick. I like that pick. It's the sleazy cop that does it for me. So we're gonna be coming back at you guys, listener. We always encourage you to watch along with us. Uh, freshen up on this if you haven't seen it. I hope you enjoy it because I've seen this one before and you're in for a treat if you haven't. So thank you so much, Katie, for joining us. Uh, you know, we couldn't have done this one without you, literally. <laughs> I have enjoyed the, the conversation. I apologize that it was kind of a little different, seeing as it was a comparison. But It's a different episode, but I, I think it was fun. I'd like to do one again. It is way more work to do two movies in one week. So uh, it, this, this release might come out a little bit later than other releases, but uh, rest assured, we'll, we'll be right back at it with another one. So to all of our guests, thank you for listening. Uh, all you lords and ladies of the Nights of Retro Movie Roundtable, like us on Facebook. Please reach out to us. We really appreciate a review on iTunes. That helps other people find the show when they search movies. It'll come up. Uh, that's a big help to help grow the show. And if you listen to us on Spotify, give us a favorite. Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you are, please send your love for the show. If you want to engage with us, if you want to be on the show, 
write to us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. We're always looking to grow the community and talk to our movie fans out there. What did you think of Sleuth? So, as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Katie? Yes. <laughs>